listening to Creative and Curious, a weekly podcast made for creative seekers who are compelled to let your inner artist reign free. Here we explore the mystery of how creating makes us better humans and artists. I'm Marika, and welcome to today's Discoveries. story, my story, the story that basically got me to the point where I'm sitting in a studio and recording a podcast just for you, surrounded by art and surrounded by many memories of lots of workshops and classes in this studio, as well as a lot of new art and new mediums and new ideas that I didn't even know were possible about six years ago. And it's because of that transformation, I think it's a good story and it's, and it's a good idea to share. So let me kind of paint a picture of what was happening to me about six years ago when I had a horrible inner ear infection. I mean, this is vertigo, people. This is being so dizzy. You can't drive. Backing out of the driveway, I hit some garbage cans. I had no idea we were there because I couldn't even stabilize to see and figure out what was going on. Uh, I literally could barely leave the house when I was um, suffering from this inner ear infection. I definitely could not make it to work. I had to work from home in bed with the lights kind of dimmed because it was hard on my vertigo when there was too much light. And I was trying to power through, man. I had a job. I had a real job. I had a job job. Like, as I like to say, I was tenured faculty at a college. At that time, I was in more of an administrative role. I was director of what we called the faculty commons, which was a professional development center that I had started up. And I couldn't even be there. I mean, we had all sorts of programming for faculty, but I could not be there. I could physically not get myself there on most days. And I was really suffering through this. And I knew, I mean, it it was going on for about three or four weeks. And I knew, I knew in my heart that the reason why this was happening was I was, I was at my edge. I was at the end. I was at the end of my rope. I was um, pushed to the end of my being able to stay even healthy in my own job. I had a job in which I was super burned out. I was playing politics quite a bit in that administrative role. And I was playing them in a way that did not make me like myself. I had learned that if you could complain, you could get what you wanted. And if you could scare people, you could get what you wanted. I don't like doing either one of those things. I don't like scaring people. I don't like complaining. And yet it was very effective. And that was just the way the culture was at this college. Um, Academic life, academic politics are not necessarily the the best, pretty much across the board as I understand it. But I was pretty deep in it because I got into this political role. I was burned out too because, you know, as a teacher, I, I actually made a very conscious decision to go into teaching because I didn't think that I would be sitting around very much. I thought I'd be in front of a classroom. I thought I'd be... Uh, hanging out with students. And what I found was 
interestingly enough, teaching is getting online and I was teaching a lot online and in an administrative role, I was also sitting a lot and I really wasn't up on my feet as much as I wanted to, which was really disappointing to me. I also have kids and honestly, I, I really burned myself out in the beginning. I uh, had a baby while I was going through a three-year tenure process. After she was born, I kept working because I didn't want to disrupt the tenure process. She was born in April, right at the beginning of spring quarter, and I kept teaching all the way through that. I never took maternity leave. I taught online the whole time, uh, which was pretty edgy back then, like tenure committees. It wasn't, it wasn't looked on very well by, by the powers that be when I was going through process, but they also recognized that I was having a baby. So I had suffered some really disappointing interactions with administration around feeling safe and being harassed by students. And it was just becoming a very toxic work environment for me. On top of it all, money. Teaching and teachers are not very valued. And when I say valued, I mean they're not given a lot of money. And yes, I love teaching. But also, that does not mean that you do not pay me money for what I'm doing. In fact, if I'm really good at my job, which I kind of think I was, I should be being paid well because you don't want me to go. You should value me. And you, they should value anybody who's good at their job. It doesn't matter what the profession is. Uh, as some of you may know, it's a government job. I was at a public uh, college. Uh, sometimes I never got a raise. Sometimes I did. Sometimes I saw, you know, but it was never performance-based and it was never guaranteed that I was going to be paid better. After a while, that started to really grind down on me. And especially my husband works in technology it, which is exactly the opposite. There's just bonuses and raises happening every year. And, and he was doing really well and it was pushing me into a position where financially it was actually starting to not even make sense that I was working when you coupled it with like childcare and how much money I was making. And I mean, it's just crazy. It's just craziness. I mean, I could go on and it would just, it, all it does is just make me crazy. And it does, it wears you out. It burns you up and, um, and it burns you down. And as much as I really loved that job for the purpose of it, it was really starting to take away from me. The proof was I'd sitting in bed, dizzy, vertigo, can't go anywhere, feeling kind of sick and knowing that I was at the end of my rope, knowing too that I knew that job would not last forever. As much as tenure guarantees uh, your job security, I always knew I wasn't going to be there for 30 years as a tenured faculty member in the business division. I wrote an email. I finally, after about three or four weeks of this ear infection in which I quit my job and I felt like I was going to throw up at that time. I didn't know what I was going to do. And all I knew was that I really couldn't do what I was doing anymore. I had to believe in that that everything was pushing me out of this job, the way that I was feeling, my body, money, my husband's success, all signs were pointing to you must exit this and enter something totally new. Even though I was sure it was the right thing, when I wrote that email, like I said, I felt like I was going to throw up. It felt horrible. I felt like I was 
letting a lot of people down by leaving. But the one person that I was not letting down was myself. I did it and I quit. And then we went to Peru and my inner ear infection went away. <laughs> like it was magic within a few days, it was totally gone. And I proceeded to sort of wrap my mind around the fact that uh, I was leaving the college. I was going to be done after 10 years, the longest, um, the longest gig I'd ever had 10 years. So I was 39 and I was almost 40 and 40 was a big deal for me. My dad died when he was 49. He had cancer and he had a very rare cancer that took his life within three months after being diagnosed. And I was 23 at the time. So when I was looking at 40, turning 40, I really hitting me that I was entering into the decade in which my father had died and that you never know, right? You never know what's going to happen and that I will be exceedingly lucky if I outlive my father and get into my 50th year. And maybe I will and maybe I won't. Who knows? I'm still 45. It is a form of a midlife crisis. I don't regret any decision that I made. I always knew, by the way, too, that 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 gig was not going to be for me forever. I was not going to be the faculty member that had been teaching there for 30 years. It just didn't sit right in who I thought I was. Then people wanted to know, like, it's not that common for, for faculty members to leave their tenure, especially for who knows what, right? Because that's what I did. I just left for who knows what. I got a lot of questions. The biggest number one question was, what are you going to do? I just remember that so much. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I think I want to travel. I don't know. I just don't want to be doing this anymore. I got to go figure that out. I, I got to a point where I started saying, well, I'm going to do a lot of CrossFit because I used to do a lot of CrossFit. And I hope that I'll start painting again. That was the other thing. Once I took that position at the faculty commons, that position was so political and so stressful that I didn't paint. I had stopped for a while. I did a little bit, but it, it wasn't what it was before. And I thought, well, maybe I'll start painting again, too. So those two things sound fun to me at the time. Lots of CrossFit all summer. And maybe I'll start painting. Who knows? But I did start thinking about it because people started asking me so much about, you know, what are you going to do? And it's funny because I ended up writing a blog post. And when I look at this blog post, I ran into it and I and I actually kind of cherished it. I put it in my little ebook because I thought it was kind of cool what I had done. But I just read it, reread it or just glanced over it. And I thought, this is crazy. I wrote this blog post about what am I going to do? And here I am almost six years later and it really guided me. It really kind of set the tone for the things that that I ended up inviting into my life without really knowing what I was doing. What I want to do is I'm going to read it to you, post this in the show notes if you want to read the whole thing. Ended up calling it Manifesto, What I'm Going to Do. Since announcing my intention to leave my tenure tenured position in the summer of 2014, many people have asked me what I'm going to do. I'm serious about taking a break with my kids this summer and dead serious about having more fun. I'm dedicated to creating an environment for myself to test theories and ideas I have about work, life, creativity, change, and leadership. They need to incubate. But I can't help thinking about that question. What are you going to do? The well-intentioned question sometimes frame as an accusation 
what are you going to do, sometimes disguised as a coercion, what are you going to do, and other times curious, inquiry resonates. Of course, I have asked myself the same thing many, 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 many times, and I'm internally committed to the what's and ams and the do's for myself. Right now, I've got a few guiding principles to answer that question. What are you going to do? Number one, I'm going to play. I'm going to paint, travel, write, climb, and work out. I'm going to meet my kids, husbands, and friends where they are in play, in the pool, the playground, or in a handstand. And I'm deadly serious about this. Work should be playful, at least most sometimes. Without play, creativity and possibility die. Without play, there is no discovery. How can ideas emerge and thrive without the opportunity that play gives us? How can work be love if it isn't playful? I'm going to grow younger. I will not be creaky, dusty, and or stale in mind or body. I'm turning 40 this year. After much reflection, I've determined there are more benefits than deficits, despite what our culture opines. It is an age bias that makes us feel old, not age itself. Here's a short list of benefits of being old, (laughs) of being 40. I care a whole lot less what people think. I stand comfortably in my own body. I say what is on my mind tactfully and directly, mostly. I believe in the validity of my opinions while knowing they are opinions. I easily laugh at myself and my own jokes. I'm a lot better at forgiving myself. I'm empowered. I believe that I can do what I envision if I dedicate myself to it. And damn what society says, I'm healthy, fast, strong, and good looking. A healthy child feels the same way about herself, doesn't she? I'm going to boss myself. I'll collaborate. Nothing is more satisfying than working towards a common goal. I'll seek counsel and take advice from those I respect. Multiple perspectives will help guide my decision making. But please don't tell me what to do. It just won't go well. This is in everyone's best interest. It would be a completely unsatisfying endeavor and leave us exhausted, nuts, and miserable. Connect. I'm going to connect. The best moments are connected moments. At these times, we plunge into synchronicity and become greater than an individual, belonging to a group of strong, like-minded humans who work, strategize, and plan towards a common goal as energizing and life-giving. I will stock synchronicity and connection in moments both small and grand, in a conversation, a fleeting moment, or a passing exchange. Ideas are no different. Connecting ideas means bringing them to life so they are greater than their original parts. Those ideas help people too. Empowering, guiding, and witnessing people and ideas reach their potential is fulfilling life-connected work. Laugh. Laugh every day for mental health. Laughter and humor are survival skills. I adore finding the hidden humor in events. I hunt giggles, guffaws, belly laughs, and joyful tears. Some people think I laugh too loud, I'm crazy and or irreverent, but I'm content. I will limit my butt time. No long hours in a chair at a computer, please. I need to move to feel alive. Whatever is next, I will not be sitting on my butt all day long doing it. I will promote love, beauty, and magic. Whatever I do, it will be connected not just to the appreciation of the life-affirming, but promotion of it. The wild spreading of what brings us purpose and joy will be central to my day-to-day professions. I will ban bad a-holes. And just in case you didn't know, everyone is an a-hole sometimes. 
I prefer good a-holes. A good a-hole pushes the status quo, cries for change, sees that the world is simply not good enough, calls it out, and in doing so makes people uncomfortable. I respect them and the world needs them, though some would call them a-holes. Good a-holes are courageous, dedicated, thoughtful, insightful, moral, equitable, and even visionary. They are dedicated to their goals and they don't care if you think they are an a-hole for it. They need that energy and courage to carry them. I'm energized by them and their mission. But bad a-holes are incompetent, rude, condescending, time-wasting, and or dysfunctional. And even worse, they suck energy and go out of their way to ensure everything stays the same. Stale, tasteless, and uninspiring. They like the status quo and see no use in any improvements. They are soul-damaging to me. I am banning them. With so many inspiring, authentic, challenging humans on the planet, it makes no sense to empower bad a-holes with my time. I will push failure. Fear and failure mark the learning edge, a position which reaps the most personal and global benefits. If I'm not feeling the razor sharpness of my actions, then I'm not pushing myself enough. I'm not marking the path to my true potential. I'm going to push failure and feel the fear as an indication that I'm on the right trail. I'm going to explore. I'll explore because there is more than I can possibly know. I will discover the new and travel, life, ideas, profession, and relationships. In the process of letting the known go, doors upon doors of possibilities open. Like a traveler hitching their backpack and boarding a train to a new destination, the excitement of a new voyage awaits. I'll embrace the change and journey with the spirit of an adventurer. My fa- my first thought when I read this over uh, a while ago or just a few weeks ago was, wow, holy cow, this is great. And mostly I've done exactly what I set out to do. I set out to rework my life in my own terms and I wrote those terms down. And yes, it totally worked. It's crazy how much that manifesto guided me even when I forgot about it. And so for those of you who don't know me that well, I'm going to go over some of the things that sort of prove that I that I did kind of do these things. My husband also left his job a year later and we moved to Costa Rica and we lived there for a year and a half. We had made it packed a couple of years before when I was 38 and he was 37, that we were going to take a year off, that we deserved a year off. We're going to take our kids on some kind of adventure. And it ended up being Costa Rica, but it really absolutely was fabulous. It was great for my kids. It was great for us. I, it wasn't always comfortable but it was a really good experience. We've also traveled extensively uh, through Costa Rica, through Central America, through Europe, Colombia, Vietnam, Cambodia. We've been to Asia a few times. It's just travel has definitely taken a front seat um, in this new life for me. And the funny story is in all of this, I didn't know that I was going to be an artist. I thought I might paint, which is different, but I thought I might come back to the practice for sure of painting because I do enjoy it so much, but I never, ever thought when I was leaving that I was going to start an art business and start selling my work. The funny story behind that is, and sort of the short funny story is I got a tattoo and a kind of big one that's all over the the back of my one calf. And it's a painting of an artist that I admired of music, but it's just like my art, very colorful, lots of movement going in it. And I had to go through about three different tattoo artists to do this. Of course, it was after my 40th birthday and it was part of my birthday. 
celebration was getting this tattoo and went through some artists, wanted to make sure it was good quality, took a few months to finally get somebody to line up and then, you know, just scheduling it because tattoos are in the good tattoo artists are in high demand. And of course the thing hurt. I mean, it really hurt to get it. It's, it's, if you don't have one, they're painful. Uh, and I did it and I had a pretty long session, uh, about as long a session as you can have. I think, what is it like four hours or something like that to get it done because it was so big. And afterwards, you know, I, I had been on this mission to get this tattoo for like probably a year. And afterwards I got it and I thought that was so weird. I totally just got a tattoo of a painting on my leg and it hurt. And I was so determined to do it. And what that, what is that about? I didn't even bother to ask myself why it was important before, but afterwards I was like, why did I do that? And I just realized like painting is actually really important to me. It's actually part of my identity so much so that I actually put a tattoo of a painting on my body so unconsciously. It's so unconsciously important to me that I, that I did it without even realizing what I was really trying to tell myself, which is that this, this is next. This is the next thing. And I was sitting in a house full of paintings. I mean, people would come over and sometimes somebody would mention them and maybe want to buy them or something like that. And, you know, back then I was like, no, 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 it's personal. It takes too long. You know, I can't, can't imagine selling it. Um, but then I realized, no, wait, I could actually do this. I could actually sell my work. So it's funny that my manifesto had promoting beauty and magic in it too, because I think that that's exactly what art is all about is promoting beauty and magic. It's kind of beautiful. And of course, because I chose a creative career, I've, I've just loved it. I have worked on connection. I have worked on relationships. Mostly though, I, you know, I think one of the biggest surprises is how I got back into teaching because I really did believe that I wouldn't ever teach again after I left the college. I thought definitely that was the thing I would not be doing ever again. But it came back to me. People started asking me to teach art classes this time. And again, that's back to promoting beauty and magic and connection, um, the community in the classroom and the laughter that we have in my workshops and the wonderful memories that are created by people moving and coming to Seattle and then coming into my workshops are really wonderful. I feel so blessed by that. I feel so blessed that I get to play in my studio in which so many wonderful people have come through it too and, and practice and painted with me. And I mean, the other things too, I, it's very funny to, to read the stuff about a-holes because I definitely, definitely don't have to deal with, because I'm not dealing with politics like I did before. I don't deal with the people that I used to have to deal with, that kind of person. And when I do run into them, I'm way more compassionate with them, though I don't want them in my life for very long. <laughs> so, but I can see them for, um, for the scared human beings that they are. And I've been able to sort of navigate some more difficult uh, situations in my life because I am more patient with them. And I have invited, been way more intentional about the people that I invite in my life. And yeah, the play, yeah, the laughter, all of that stuff has definitely shifted. I am, it is crazy, the different person that I am now. I'm so much more laid back. I'm so much more forgiving of myself and of the people around me. And I'm so much more hopeful too. I'm hopeful that what I'm doing can help create an alternative to the kinds of cultures that do burn women out in their professions 
that um, that do make it feel like we've lost complete control of who we are or we've lost our identity because we have to pretend that we're somebody else in order to be, you know, quote unquote, successful. And I think that's a really important point is that the the difference now is I'm really working towards defining defining an alternative culture, an alternative way to be successful that um, that I can feel proud about without being like, oh, I don't really think I like myself very much right now. Yeah, I did what everybody said, you know, they wanted me to do, but God, I don't like myself. The last one that I want to kind of talk a little bit about is the push failure one, because I had to laugh when I saw that. I thought, I, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, talk about, be careful what you ask for. Um, because you, you do not start an art business thinking that that's going to be the, <laughs> that might be one of the hardest businesses to start up because it's not like I'm solving any of life's hugest problems. Though I th- do think I'm solving some important questions around beauty and what it means to be human. That means that I chose a profession. I chose a industry in which there's going to be a lot of failure as I figure out what I'm doing. And, and if there's anything that I find that I'm constantly reevaluating is my relationship to failure. I mean, I can go, I try not to think about it too much. I try to move through each project and the next thing and, and try to stay focused on what's working, like my workshops, my, my jewelry making class, my body and soul painting class. Those have been really great. It always feels so wonderful when I make sales, but the truth is I've made more paintings than I've sold. I've lifted and offered more classes than I've filled. I've been rejected by buyers and jurors and art fairs. I mean, I've even messed up friendships and relationships. I've been in deep pits of despair thinking and wondering how I can make this work and still do that. There are the emotions of working outside your comfort zone, right? They're exactly what I asked for. But at the same time, no easy task dealing with the 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 mental games that are played when you decide number one to be an entrepreneur and then a number two to do that in a in a in a business considered non-essential so it really works like i it's it's really interesting having read that and go six years later yeah 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 totally i'm a totally different person and the manifesto just really helped guide me even even the times where i forgot about it it's a, been an incredible years of growth. Incredible. I'm completely different professionally, a different, I'm even a different teacher, a different educator. And I was a good teacher, by the way, I, at the college, but my mindset and what I believe is necessary for real rich learning to occur is so much more in depth and different than what the structure made me create in the college system. I get to be my own type of educator basically, which is kind of great. Um, I'm so much more happier on a daily basis than that person at the end of the rope stuck in academia. It just wasn't a good fit for me in the end. It was such a good decision. So I think it's worth it. I think that I'd hundred percent recommend writing a manifesto like this moving forward and answering the question, what are you going to do? without actually like writing down goals, because you'll notice when I read what I had there, it wasn't all about 
well, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to move to Costa Rica. I'm going to do these things. No, it was about the values that underlie the decisions and, and the, the things that I wanted to call into my life. The important thing about that is it's about alignment, right? It's about deciding what your life is going to look like and then moving in that direction and not letting outside influence affect you. Outside influence in my case would be things like the voice inside my head, which is like, you can't leave a job. You don't know what your income's going to be. You know, you're a woman. What if you and your husband get a divorce and you don't have a job and you're not making any money? Like you're putting yourself at risk. You won't be independent anymore. Like there was a lot of stuff in my brain and I can do a whole nother episode about identity around having quit my job like that because I also had to really struggle with who I am now. It took a while. It took a while. But I said, well, I don't really know exactly what I'm going to do, but I know what's going to guide me, what my guiding principles are. It just gave me this framework to make decisions, to keep moving forward. And like I said, even though the failure has sometimes been very intense for me, it has been real. I've learned a lot and I continually push myself. That manifesto was a process of self-inquiry that led me into letting go of the pressures of society and my own pressures that I was putting on myself. And it really helped me process my desire, what I wanted my life to look like. And I think on the opposite side of that, my fear. So I enjoyed reading this manifesto because it was, that's what it was all about for me. What was my desire and how, what was the fear that I wanted to let go of? Um, the biggest difference in the before and after this manifesto, because I keep saying, oh, I've been changing, I've been changing, and you've just got to believe me, life is so much better, which it is. The biggest difference for me is my relationship with fear. And I don't think I realized this until I read this again. And I real and I was thinking about that person who was, you know, sitting in bed with an inner ear infection, can't drive to 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 work and writing an email to quit my job because I didn't know how I could get out of it, get out of the inner ear infection, how I could get out of the vertigo otherwise. But it's fear that that stress related stuff that's happening was very fear based stuff. And I, and there was a lot of fear about for me about this. I just really didn't want that to be my identity forever. I didn't want it to be my identity. I knew that really early on. I didn't want it to be my identity forever, but let me give you some examples because I think it's really interesting how this fear factor kind of unfolds in the story. So I've been a rock climber for almost 18 years and I'm not a good, <laughs> I'm not a good rock climber. I, my husband is a good rock climber. I mean, I might be, I'm, I'm a good rock climber now, but I'm not a natural, let's say I'm not a natural rock climber. And I have done some stupid things, rock climbing that made it worse, that made the fear more intense. Back in those days when we did make it to the climbing gym or we did go outside, I was a wreck. I mean, the fear was always there and there was always this voice in my head like, why am I doing this? This is crazy. I don't know why. Like just this constant little record that would really prevent me from staying focused and performing and really reaching my true capacity, really. So considerably different now. And it's very distinct before Costa Rica, what kind of climber was I? versus now after Costa Rica, I've just learned to trust myself. I've learned that when I tie in that rope and I've made sure that that's happened, that I'm safe. The equipment rarely ever fails. Usually it's the climber who fails when they get hurt. 
and, and to just really be in the moment as much as I was really working on that before it really wasn't until I started to align my life with my own values that the fear of the fear started to just dissipate in everything and in climbing number one, number two, I was terrified of flying before, before all this six years ago, I hated getting on planes. I was a wreck when I, when we would take off, I, I played all sorts of little mind games with myself, but sometimes, and when the turbulence would hit, it would just get crazy. And it was crazy because I like to travel and I still traveled quite a bit, but not without this, this fear that would build up before we go. And then would just like, just intensify once I got on the plane and once it was starting to take off and if there was turbulence. And then once I landed, I always felt like I got away with something that I, that I, I always felt like, you know, I mean, we all know statistically that flying is very, very safe. It's safer than driving, but I always felt like, okay, I got away with it. You know, like, oh, you know, I was one of the few who actually made it through this, like this crazy flight that everybody else has done how many times and survived. I was terrified. It was horrible. It was horrible. And just in the last six years, I have watched that in particular. I mean, just, just sort of melt away. Like that the fear of the flying has just totally gone away. And I used to use my kids. This is a confession. I've never told anybody this, but I used to use my kids as like sort of touch bounce. I would take them on the flights with me because they would keep me safe because I knew they were going to be okay. I just knew that they were going to be okay. It was me that wasn't going to be okay. So if I brought my kids on these flights, then then I was going to be okay. Even if I was going to be terrified, I was still going to be okay. But even in the last year, I have flown on my own with nobody else that I know on that flight. It was totally okay. I mean, I would, there's always this like voice inside my head. That's like, am I going to, am I really going to be okay? Or am I going to freak out last minute or whatever? But no, it's actually been really okay. I have gotten to a point where in my life, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic where when you align your values, when you align yourself with your values and you start making these decisions and really thinking about what the direction you want to take it, not where everybody else wants to take it, then the, there's this ownership of all decisions that pull away at the fear that really start to remove the layers of fear. I'm afraid of a lot of things, these crazy little irrational fears in my life that really shook me up uh, emotionally are dissipating because at the same time that I gain control by aligning myself with my values, I'm able to give up control at the times that I, that I can just say, you know, this, this flight's going to be fine probably. And if it's not, there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm okay with that because I have so much agency in the rest of my life. That's what I think. The more agency you have in life, the probably the less fear. That's interesting way to think of it. There's something about that ability to craft your life the way that you want based on the values you've created and creating a framework for, for dealing with that, that helps you work through the fear and other fears. I'm not sure how it works, but it seems to be true. Not that my fear is completely gone, but it's significantly different. What I've noticed, though, is that the more the more that I align myself with these values, the more willing I am to take risks and the more willing I am to push into the fear and to use the fear as a guide that if I'm afraid of this thing, 
applying for a art fair or going to a gallery or, you know, whatever the thing that might be that's fearful, then it might be worth it. It might be worth doing if it makes you scared. And I'm starting to believe that more and more in my practice. Uh, it's taken me six years. And I mean, it's evolving, right? It's life. It's never easy to introduce change into your life. Never. Blowing up a good career comes with a lot. <laughs> Again, I should do a few episodes on identity and that year and a half in Costa Rica and and some of the things that I really had to deal with because I decided to no longer be a tenured faculty member in the business division at a college. So it's never easy. It is important if it doesn't feel good. If your your world, you know, you know that this isn't forever and something's calling you, even if you don't know what it is. Simply sitting down and writing about what you value and what you want your life to have in it can help so much, right? It can help you start to create a direction instead of having other people push you in the directions that they think you need to go or the institution pushing you in a direction that they think that it thinks it needs you to go. No, when you sit down and you figure out what's, what's important and valuable to you and spend some time with it, that becomes your map and that becomes your agency. That becomes what will guide you. Even subconsciously, because like I said, I forgot about this at times, but somehow it guided me because I sat down and really thought about this. It's worth working with an idea of getting to a manifesto of your own, simply asking yourself, like, what am I going to do? Not what I'm going to do, like with my life and, you know, the bucket list. And I've got all those things, too. But what's going to guide me? What are the guiding principles? If I really don't know exactly what I'm going to do in the future, how, how am I going to know that I'm on the right path? What are the guiding principles? Those guiding principles are your values. Those are the things that you want to promote. Those are the people that you want to be with you. You might be thinking about how you want to be an example. I definitely wanted to be an example for my kids too. I didn't want them to see me the way that I was when my daughter is saying, why are you doing this? You know, I didn't want her to think that it was okay for her to put herself in the same situation. And as I think more about this, the more I know that this episode is about me looking at this manifesto and do I need to update it? Do I need to add to it? Or do I need to just push into some of these things a little bit more? I'm thinking I need actually the hardest one, the push failure. Definitely need to push failure more. I don't think it's going to change that much after I've read it. That's the funny thing. But I think maybe reading it is going to help me level up a bit more. And what do you think? That's what I'm curious about. Do you have a manifesto that you work with or has this inspired you in any way to think about creating your own manifesto or even just already knowing that you have these values that you've aligned yourself to? I'd be really curious to find out. time with me and for spreading the word about creative and curious. You can find me here every Thursday with new thoughts and insights on creativity, curiosity, and life. Tell me what you think. Please email me your comments and questions at marika at marikaranke.com. And if you feel inclined, leave a review. They really do mean the world to me and they'll help this podcast reach people just like you. And the best thing that you can do 
keep creating. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.